BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
<laughs> Welcome everybody to AM Bike. We got a little bit of a Welcome reverb there. there. Is that from me or you, Vance? Or I wonder where's that coming from? I just have to say I like it. Oh well, glad you enjoyed it. Bon, there you go. I fixed it. I had my own YouTube. It was getting weird, but yes, that is from my friend Rhyme. Uh, she's an incredible artist, artist, performer, and musician, bringing her noses from Japan. And she wanted to provide this expression from her uh, from her Gold Star project, where she is exploring how consciousness deals with technology and AI. And in this song, I'm Being Changed, she is talking about, yes, consciousness coming into the real world, but also, and obviously, the real world is already pretty scary when we fall into consciousness, but also how consciousness is being changed by artificial intelligence. So this is our exploration. Uh, if you're more interested in our Gold Star project, I'll have it on the show notes. Interesting, because I've been doing a lot of research on David Bowie and Elvis, and there is a Black Star connection between us, but here, my friend Rhyme is talking about Gold Star, how consciousness affects or interacts with technology. Obviously, as I told her, I see Sophia falling or the goddess falling into matter and having to struggle with reality. It's more or less the same. Rhyme is very influenced by Gnostic thought. So I hope you enjoyed it and certainly check it out and uh, check out more of her work. It is incredible. And yes, we'll be talking tonight about, yeah, art, reality. We will touch upon AI and all that. So, and creativity. And we'll find some answers, I feel, because our guest is, uh, we have an incredible guest, and that is Astrea Taylor. How are you, Astrea? I'm doing so wonderful. And I love that intro, too. I, I mean, that's my kind of music. And, you know, as an artist myself, I just, I want to fire dance to that music. <laughs> like I just put together a set list for a fire dance uh, performance on Saturday, and I'm like, can we change it to that to include that? That's beautiful. Very cool. What is fire dance? I saw it on your website, but maybe the audience could you could share with the audience. Yeah, sure. So we um, we do all kinds of um, fire arts. We have crowns that have like fire up here. We have palms that you know, like you do the kind of dance like this, and the, and the fire is like here. Uh, we have poi, which is fire on chains. We have a fire hula hoop. We have fire on staff ends. Uh, we have a fire umbrella and, um, you know, a fire sword that we can balance on our head, a fire belt. We make a lot of our props ourselves and we like the weird stuff. And one of the things I said in the book was when I was putting myself out there, I was like, do you want me to be like a regular performer? Everyone who wants to hire me. And they were like, no, we want the weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's the weird, beautiful art that makes your heart happy. That is the best stuff that you can ever do for yourself and for everyone else. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. And yes, we will be discussing your book that I enjoyed. It's over there in the back, but I have a copy and I really got a lot of got a lot out of it. And that's inspiring, inspiring creativity through magic. How to ritualize your art and attract the creative spirit. So we will be unpacking that tonight. And with us, too, we also have someone who is an artist, also a musician, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I think you're still in mute. I think Mercury <laughs> Retrograde is getting yeah. off. Yeah. 
I'm having trouble with my camera tonight. <laughs> but other than that, I'm doing okay. See, I'm dim. I'm dark. It's yeah. a dark moon dog. <laughs> You're very emo tonight. You're black star. And, and so I was all tranced but... out from the intro, too. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Her work is incredible. And again, that's uh, the whole idea, expressing ourselves, being weird and all that good yeah. stuff. But uh, For the audience, again, if you have any questions, please super chat them so we can get them to you. Uh, and uh, as always, behave. Make the don't make the the chat into a chatico full of witico. Um, so <laughs> let's start with you, Estrella. What tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became who you are, a heretic. A yeah. So um, I I was raised by a new age mother, and um, I was just raised with the freedom of thought. And she was a very magical person. I had psychic experiences and out of body experiences as a child. And instead of shutting them down, she just kind of welcomed them. So I kind of like had a red carpet out to a magical life and was raised with meditation. And so when I actually chose, you know, to go into witchcraft when I was about 18, it was a natural decision and my mom supported it. It, it just was, um, it just felt right for me. And, you know, I based my practice on uh, what I saw other people do and how they did rituals. And I kind of just used their model of how they did rituals to use like my intuitive feelings to make my own rituals. And that's kind of the basis of Intuitive Witchcraft, my first book that came out through Llewellyn. And uh, now here I am with the fourth book. So, I mean, that's, that's a long story short, but here we are. <laughs> No, it's great. Yeah. I know in your website, you talk about uh, don't let anybody tell you how to be a witch yeah. There's many ways. But how would you define a witch? And I've asked many of my uh, female friends that and we talk, I personally just say, one who taps directly into the ancient cult of uh, Kybel, the great mother, the primordial yeah. mother. It's an easy, uh, it's an easy definition that works for me. But what about you? And I love that goddess too. Like I have ancestry in that region. Really? So yeah, uh, Bulgarian ancestry. So, but, um, uh, you know, I think if someone defines themselves as a witch, then that's great. That's then they're a witch. Uh, they don't have to do witchcraft to be a witch. They can like think the witchcraft. They can do the, like the magic on their own. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, you know, we get into gray areas, but I don't believe in any external authorities. I believe in our own internal authorities more than anything else. So labels are, you know, transient, but um, they can help us identify and kind of like empower us to embody this magical feeling that we're feeling, you know? No, well said. Well said indeed. Uh, yeah, they're, they're great uh, pointers and signs, but at the end of the day, we got to transcend that. And uh, it's experience yeah. that matters. Yeah. And uh, it's all magical, in my opinion. You know, it's all the weird, ma the weird, the magical is all one. And uh, you can look at it that way. But if you want to have your own labels, that's fine, too. You know, we all have our own journeys to take with all this stuff. Exactly. So tell us how you came to write uh, Inspiring Creativity <laughs> Through Magic. I think in well, your book said you, yeah. you met a spirit. I did. Tell us about that. It's a very cool story. So when I first started writing books about witchcraft, it was um, intuitive witchcraft is what I just do naturally after, you know, decades of practice. I'm 46. 
and uh, uh, just had this method going on. It's it's a lot like the scientific method, in my opinion. Uh, but you know, you use your psychic sensitivities to figure out what you want to do. And then um, you know, I was asked to write Air Magic, my second book. Uh, I was I collaborated with a friend of mine, Jason Mankey, to write my third book, uh, Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods. But this one is really close to my heart, and uh, really my knowledge about the muse, the creative spirit and everything came about when I was writing fiction before any of my Llewellyn books came out. I started writing fiction in uh, probably, well, a long time ago. The first book I published was in 2017, though. And so, um, yeah, I was doing my creative fiction work and the characters were coming alive on the page. And you hear this a lot with fiction writers. They're just like, I, they just started breathing. They told me what they, who they were, what they wanted. They acted out. And I just like kept up with it on the page. And that happened to me. And I noticed it was all because of this spirit that was in the room. And I can see spirits kind of, like I can't see all of them, <laughs> but I can see some of them really well. And this one, especially because because he was in the, the corner of my sights, um, it wasn't direct here. It was over there mm -hmm. to the left <laughs> catacorner kind of. Um, I could see him and I was I was really curious about what was going on. And at first I was thinking I was going to banish him because I don't like to have spirit random spirits in my house that I don't recognize. You know, <laughs> ancestors are welcome that support me. You know, my spirit guides, you know, who I've communicated with are welcome to support me. But like this random guy over here. I was like, who the, who the F is that? So um, I had to figure out who he was and what he was doing. And then I realized, you know, when he was around, I was writing some of my best work. And I realized that in 2020, when the pandemic hit, nobody had written about this yet. Um, there have been some mentions about the creative spirit in the artist's way and Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, but not from a really witch's perspective. And I was like, this is bigger magic. This is the magical artist's way. <laughs> this needs to be told, this story. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I guess, uh, how do you see the intersection of art and magic? I mean, I on my show, I always say all religion is art. All art is religion. I mean, yeah, even yesterday we're doing. I was doing a presentation. I was like, "Do you think people sat down and write, wrote these boring texts? No, they were performative. They were theatrical. Whether you're doing yeah. the Gospel of Luke or a book in Hebrews or a, a Greek story or Isis, you know, there was a lot of art and marketing and inspiration. So they're the same, right? It's it's this place of creativity and reality meet." Yeah, I think at its most raw form, inspiration and art is magic. And of course, there's commercial commercialization of that, you know, like, late stage capitalism is like, why don't you buy all this stuff? And you know, we do want to buy stuff because it's inspiring, you know, that music, um, some of the art that I have that I've bought, it inspires me to be more authentic. And that's, that's real. Um, and, you know, no one can change that opinion that I have. Um, but there's also a lot of like buy this just because it's popular, like this just because it's popular. Uh, and they're pushing these artists in front of us who aren't really appealing to any, to me or any of my friends necessarily. You know, when Britney Spears came out, I was like, what is this? I don't understand. I'm going to back away slowly and like retreat into the woods. <laughs> and I respect her a lot as a person. 
I never got into her art really necessarily, but I respect people who like that. It's, it's their own journey. But um, it's it's a very, you know, she was commercialized from the beginning. You know, this is an example. Uh, I don't mean to pick on her because I really do respect her, as I said. But, um, you know, the, when they commercialize people and just were like, like this, we were going to play this in the, on, the, on the radio all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. I believe in the small artists and, you know, what we genuinely like and not bowing to what they tell us to do. Oh, agreed. But what would you say is the difference between entertainment and art? I mean, that's the big question, right? What is it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of overlap, um, you know. And art can be entertaining. Entertainment can be arts. I think that uh, we have to choose what is entertaining and art for ourselves, and the masses will choose that as well. I don't know if there's a clear answer to that. There's such an overlap between art and magic, entertainments, you know, the social factor. It's it's uh, kind of messy, but I like that about it. Do you think art should be inspired? In other words, there's a lot of entertainment that's not very inspired. It's just like cookie cutter, mechanical. Um, could we really call that art? You think? Yeah, that's it's just for way? your yeah, it's for your dopamine to get those dopamine, but it doesn't. Yeah, stimulus expand it. Yeah, it doesn't expand anything at the end of Pavlov's the day. bell. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine if you need it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I feel. It's it's um it's someone's art, but it may not be everyone's art. Exactly. Not the, eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um what I like too about your book, Estrella, is that again, you're you're writing this in the pandemic in a time where so many people felt felt isolated and you mm-hmm. decided you were one of those said i'm going to do something about this i am going to create and on the other side there's going to be something new to help those who have been traumatized who are afraid who get to really go into mm-hmm. the, their inner divinity and do what the gods do which is create yeah um but there's a sense that you don't have to go it alone because many artists feel that Oh, I've got to write this novel, or I gotta, you know, I gotta do this sculpture, or I've gotta do this, and I've gotta be alone for months before another human can see what I've made. But as you say, you don't have to go it alone because the spirit world can keep you company and do a good job, right? Yeah. And one thing that I say in my book too is that you don't have to suffer for your arts. I understand you get obsessed with it. I get obsessed with my art quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I still make an effort to see my friends, to have a relationship with my loved one, to see my family, to have fun, experience joy, to have novelty in my life. I think a lot of people um, feel they have to sacrifice things and make that whole slog. And then they're like, why does it feel so bad? And I'm like, because you cut yourself off from everything that gave you joy. <laughs> So I really advocate for a balanced and um, joyous uh, creation process, one where you uh, kind of consciously switch between when you create and then when you are not creating so you can enjoy both immensely. Because I think if you just create, 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 you can come into this slog where you're like, oh, I don't feel like creating. Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) You know? But um, what advice do you have for people to, again, not be alone, to uh, tap into the muse, the ancestors, the daemon, the genius? Mm -hmm. It's a busy universe out there. Again, you don't have to be alone. You have a lot of choices. How do they find this companion, this ancestor or 
alter ego or daemon? What should they do? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, to answer that part of the question, I feel like the best way you can get in touch with them is to ritualize your creativity and trance out. How, how do you trance out? Do you listen to music? Do you burn incense? Do you smoke something? Um, you know, you can get in your own zone of productivity so you can get inspired and then translate that inspiration into a physical work. And the spirit world can really help us with that because um, without that, you know, we're kind of relying upon ourselves, our own minds. I think that's great, but, you know, we can have limitations here. Whereas, you know, if a deity is interacting with us or a spirit, a powerful spirit, they can give us so much energy and even more thoughts that we don't have to come up with on our, on our own, you know, and, uh, you know, give us that vibe that just keeps us going toward it, that love of the arts. And it's, it's so valuable in my opinion to cultivate that and to really appreciate it. And, you know, I talk about how you can communicate with your creative spirit, uh, how it may show up for you because it shows up differently for everybody and it's perceived differently. You know, you know, there are atheists out there and this book is friendly for them, agnostics too. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of them, but uh, I want to, you know, help them out and not exclude them necessarily. So however you interpret the creative spirit or that inspiration coming through is valuable and pay attention to that. Plus, as you write in your book, this idea of this other or this spirit, it's a long-standing tradition that, yeah. uh, as they say, <clears throat> has receipts, whether yeah. it's Stephen <laughs> King or Goethe or Michelangelo. Yeah. These, these people that change history had some sort of divine self and I'm sure a lot of times they might have just been like cosplaying with themselves, like I'm going to create this, but that's fine because it's a dialogue with my consciousness. But again, this works, right? Create something. Yeah. Have Don't be alone. Have a higher self with you. Exactly. And you're right. It is ancient. It goes back to our most ancient Western religion roots, you know, in ancient Greece, where it was commonplace to believe in this, the goddesses the muse goddesses, you know, um, that was commonplace to believe in all that. We see that in the earliest writers, Homer and Hesiod. We see them thanking the muses and thanking them for helping them to give them inspiration to say the right words and whatnot. Um, it, it goes way far back. You know, it, it's in Roman times as well. And it gets kind of translated into times after that. You know, there's the Christian suppression, of course. We don't like really spirits or, you know, other deities or, you know, whatever, <laughs> but it exists and, you know, it makes little pop-ups in the enlightenment and Renaissance eras and, and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's making a huge resurgence today. I think art magic is a huge topic that a lot of people are thinking about and are open to today. And what, can you give us some examples of maybe modern writers yeah. who had some quirky spirits or friends? Uh, yes. I mean, I you bring a lot you. of examples, yeah. So um, Stephen King, you may have heard of him. He's a horror writer. <laughs> he, um, he calls his creative spirit his muse, and he says that it's a little dog, and he knows it's a... Um, um, a female dog. He doesn't call it the B word, but um, he uh, has a lot of reverence for this. The, you know, his uh, muse shows up, you know, he says like, you have to show up to your 
creativity to, to write. And then she may come, she may not come, um, but she gives him the words. And so the animalistic creative spirit is a common theme. It's one that I experienced before I even read that about Stephen King or anybody else, you know, who has a, insights on that. Uh, but it's, it's amazing to me that that kind of correlation showed up. And then Tori Amos is another one. She's, mm. you know, she writes songs, she performs them. She's a writer of books as well. And when she performs, she says she's channeling her muses. So she goes into this whole other world. And she talked about one time on a podcast that her husband would see her in the hallway before she's about to perform. And she's in this otherworldly mindset. And he's like, Hey, are you going to give her back to me? And <laughs> Tori Amos would say to him, yes, she's in a good place. We just need to be in charge right now or something like that. It was really beautiful. And I have the quote in the book, of course, but um, word for word. And uh, yeah, that kind of sentiment really spoke to me. Like, you know, I'm not the only one having this experience when I was writing fiction so long ago. And we all can have that experience if we are aware of it, can open our minds to it and experience it ourselves. Yeah, indeed. I got Little Earthquakes, one of my yeah. favorite all-time albums. Uh, it's just amazing. Yes. And yeah, you bring other examples too. I think one of them is uh, Marilyn Monroe, who even took it one step forward. She could actually alter her comp her personality, right? She could just, yeah. the archetype came in and she just let it take over. Reportedly, yeah, she was like uh, talking with her friend. She's like, do you want to see me become her? And her friend was like, okay, whatever. And she just like kind of like straightened, like she changed her posture a little bit, but she didn't change her clothes or anything. And people just recognized her. And that's another performance kind of aspect where that energy is just pushed out and um, into the world. And there's a whole energetic exchange with performance artists and the audience where the audience receives that transmission, that energy that's being put out there. And then they mirror it back and then it lifts up the performer even more. Oh yeah. And uh, you also talk about in your book, uh, I like how you bring up Robert Johnson and the crossroads, the old deal with the devil mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. other great examples, of course, beyond artists. Uh, it's no secret that some of the great uh, scientists of our time were inspired by otherworldly beings. I mean, Tesla might be the most famous one. He used to talk to pigeons in the park and mm. all these other great ones. Yeah. Right, Vance? Uh, do you know a few other examples? Uh, yeah, Tesla. Tesla did. Uh, he actually claimed to talk to people from Mars at one point oh, wow. Wow. on the radio. And um, yeah, he felt that we were all our minds were really radio receivers or tra and transmitters, like like that. That's air magic right there. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so. and I mean, he pioneered the wireless technology. It's it's oh yeah, virtually information in the air. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and before Marconi, actually, and oh, wow. uh, he had a radio-controlled submarine and so forth that the Navy turned down. <laughs> but um, that's that's a model you could actually consider people that are possessed or people that have their muse come to them. Actually, you can think of us as receivers, and normally, the what we call us is like 
transmitting and receiving somewhere in the universe, but other things can come in and share the channel, you know, <laughs> through the same body. Yeah. Well, there is the theory, the bicameral man or bicameral mind theory. I forget who did it. Uh, somebody in the chat to remind me if you can, but that once upon a time in ancient times up to the Greco-Roman times, all humans had two voices in their heads. Mm -hmm. There was a normal, that's the normal state of being a human being mm -hmm. is you and you, and they're having these conversation and that's how we evolved and mm -hmm. survived. And at some point it got either got suppressed or well, it's the gods or you're crazy. And suddenly we lived, we got taught that we're only supposed to have one conversation in our head or else we're crazy, but that's the demons, right? You're oh, you're possessed. You've got a demon. You have to right, shut right. that up so forth but yeah. that's not the way really our brains should work we are split personality duality beings that's why we have two two hemispheres right so yeah i think we're multi-dimensional for oh, sure yeah. for sure no doubt about that and what else do you advise to tapping into um into another well why don't we get to the heavy stuff let's get okay. to the heavy stuff because again you wrote this book during a very very strange time i i hate to say it, but i kind of miss it because the crazier the better i like i like the world but um fear you talk about in your book turning fear into excitement which every mm -hmm. all of us artists have right uh Am I, is this going to work? And I'm going to be laughed at. What, why should I do it? Everything <laughs> else. Oh, thank you, Chester. Julian James, the bicameral mind. But how to, how do we overcome fear? How do you overcome fear? How have other artists found ways to overcome fear? Yeah. So I think that we should realize that there is fear that will help us save our lives. Uh, you know, like maybe don't get so close off that cliff's edge. <laughs> maybe don't like, um, uh, jump into that burning pool of fire, you know, yeah. but then there's fear like, oh, I'm afraid if I share my poetry, someone's going to laugh at me or someone will say something and it'll hurt my feelings. Uh, but I really want to share it. Uh, so that's the challenging fear. <laughs> and really, um, I feel like, you know, if you really want to do something, it's excitement in disguise. It's disguised as fear because we're trained to fear. We're trained to pick up on fears and, I don't think it's um, always a good thing. Yes, it saves some lives. Yay for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, I would never do fire dancing unless I conquered that fear. And it's a beautiful art form. I would never have written books that inspire other people unless I put myself out there. I conquered the fear of writing and, you know, having my words be consumed by other people or my thoughts. In fact, like, it brings me so much joy to know that I have inspired other people and that I've helped people with their uh, spiritual path or whatever they want to say, you know, um, it's, it's the, this the most wonderful feeling. And that's really bigger than the fear itself is the possibility that we could benefit society in one way or another. It's not about the ego. I learned that a long time ago, the ego it feels really desperate when the ego is like trying to make a move and you can see it when certain people they're like, it's all about me. Yes. Mm, huh, yes. Mm, yeah. But you know, really in my opinion, it's all about the other people and helping them <laughs> yeah. and um, getting them to this place where they can do it too. I want to empower people most of all. And that's what it's all about. 
Well said, Estrella. Very well said. And uh, what about the idea of criticism? Because God knows in 2023, <laughs> everybody's a critic on social media, right? And right. There were already critics a long time ago. There will yeah. always be critics as long as they're artists. Yeah. The first day of somebody created a nice wheel or a rock. And then the last time before the meteorite hits and or humans are destroyed by... Uh, by the robots, there's going to be a critic. There'll be a critic yeah. of robots. There's but always I a critic. That's <laughs> that's an easy jab right there. Someone can type something in like 10 seconds and it takes, you know, zero effort basically for them to say something, but it can strike the heart of an artist and kill that. What I advise is, you know, the way that I look at that is there's this quote that Brené Brown popularized um, it's actually by, I think, Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, um, it's not the critic who is uh, actually brave. It's the performer who's actually brave. And I'm paraphrasing because I, I don't mm -hmm. know it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I think some of you probably know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so it's 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 not the critic who um, is is doing the hard work. It's the one who's out there sweating in the auditorium and who is putting themselves out there. And I had to learn, you know, a long time ago to get that thicker skin. I learned that from writing blogs, <laughs> oh, wow. Pagan, which were posted on Facebook, which got so many negative reviews. I think a lot of them were probably from Russian bots, but you know, some of them are real probably. <laughs> and, and that's okay. You know, everyone has their own opinion. And I just really had to be like, this is about them and not me. That's the biggest insight I had is that I think this person's mommy didn't love them. And that's why they're lashing out at me because I, I have that divine mother kind of vibe to a lot of people because I, I do have that, you know, unconditional love, empowerment. I, I do have that vibe to people, but people who don't know how to receive that, they won't receive me and they will just want to, you know, come against me. They want to uh, say something to make themselves feel better, to continue that perpetual argument in their own heads. And, you know, I'm kind of psychic so I can pick up like when it's not about me and I'm like, okay, this is funny. I'm not going to ask you about your mom, but I'm going to think it and maybe you'll feel it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. We're on all a higher, yeah. On a higher level. And you're right. It is all projection because yeah. I've matured enough. I know when I want to criticize somebody, I know I'm projecting. I just know it. There's something I, I need to look at myself. Why am I wasting my time writing about or talking about instead of just walking away and doing my own thing? But yeah. at the same time, our inner critic is also a projection, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we have a lot of trauma, uh, programming, yeah. and all that. So sometimes when you look at your inner critic, you also have to look at him and say, well, you're a construct too. What are we going to do with each <laughs> other, right? Yes, we internalize the voice of judgment. If we've been judged, and especially if we were a young age, when you received that message, we will take it in and say, okay, this is how I'm going to uh, feel whenever I want to be myself. There's going to be a part of me that comes back and is like, no, you should squash yourself. And you're going to tell other people they should squash themselves as well. They should squash their art. How dare you be real and authentic and genuine and a real person and uh, put yourself out there and like showcase your vulnerabilities and empower other people. Like, no, everyone should feel as bad as I do. 
<laughs> and that's really sad, but that happens. And, you know, I, I try not to judge those people too harshly because they judge themselves so harshly enough. You know, I feel bad for them, but they have their own path. You know, they don't hear me. That's okay. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I think something that I say, and I think this is so important. And again, I am willing to uh, sell my soul uh, or pledge to go with Robert Johnson to the crossroads and give the devil my soul. But is this fact that everybody has a talent and everybody in this universe is an artist the fact that we are human beings makes us an artist in some way or another and yeah. each of us has to find out and there's a quote that i love if you don't mind i'm going to put it here yeah, go ahead it's uh the artist is not a special kind of man but the every man is a special kind of artist ananda kumashrami i'm saying it wrong but uh there's a variations where you switch man for person and that's fine. Man is generic, but I think this is very true. We are mm -hmm. all artists and that's our divine self. Yeah. Uh, we all have our own kinds of arts to put out there in the world. And for some people, I met this one lady and I was like, what do you love to do? What do you really want to do with your life? And she said, I really just like to make a comfortable home experience. I really like washing sheets and putting them on, ironing them and putting them on the bed. And I, I was like, okay, you're a Taurus. That makes sense. You're fine. <laughs> no, no judgment. But like, <laughs> we all have our own ways of art. You know, I'm not a musician. Um, uh, and some people are musicians. And I think we can all get something from this whole human experience from each other. You know, some people like to do landscaping. That's not me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, realizing where our talents are, our interests are, and where those intersect, and where you know we might be able to experiment some. It, it's all a journey, and you know, we learn as we go. Yes. And each one of us has a skill again. Yes. You may be somebody, maybe model trains. The other one may be the organ. The yeah. other may be, it doesn't matter, but by finding this in a way you are healing the universe and also healing yourself and your past. Like here's a couple other quotes again, that stuck out with me. One is from Tobias Churton and he says, Gnosis is the religion of the artist and the artist is simply man doing what man does best being a joyful co-creator manifesting light in the dark universe. And then another quote, which I recently got from Gordon White, because I was, I'm writing this book on Elvis. He's, he was really into the occult. And I'm like, what is oh, magic? What is magic, Gordon? And he said, magic is the felt, the felt sense that our role in the cosmos is co-creative. It's like that yeah. works. So art, magic, it's all there. It's all part of the tikkun olam the healing of the universe and ourselves. That's so beautiful. I read this passage recently. It was actually in a fiction book. It said that um, we have this, we have a communication with magic. Uh, we talk to it and then sometimes it talks back to us, mm. you know? And I, I love that when we have a conversation with that energy, uh, just theorizing about that kind of stuff is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> so I love that quote. Bye.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So you would say that um, we're if we're all artists, and again, I think that's a fact. Yeah. Nobody can say. Are we all mystics? Do we all have the second sight that you have, or what do you say when people ask? Uh, you know, I think that it's something that we all have the ability or the potential to cultivate. I am lucky in that I had that from a young age. I I saw spirits at a young age as well. It mm. wasn't, um, you know you know, nobody tried to make me disbelieve in all that. When I talked to my mom about my out-of-body experiences, mm -hmm. she didn't shut me down. She actually had some and she explained what was happening. So I think we all need a bit of um, insight and acceptance for those experiences that we have. And a lot of us have weird otherworldly experiences from our yeah. childhood. If we look at like what we remember happening uh, you know, even Clarissa Pinkola Estes, she's the author of Women Who Run With the Wolves. She had this memory of she um, got separated from her family and she started running into this like big lake that was like an ocean. And, you know, it, it was the waves were so big she could drown. And then this beautiful woman came to her and was like, no, 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 get out of the water, get out of the water. Time uh -huh. to go, go back to the beach, go up the steps, go to see your family. And she told her family about the lady, the lady, you know, and they looked for the lady and the lady was not around. The lady had not, did not exist uh, to those adult people. And she didn't see them again, you know? Um, so I think children have otherworldly experiences all the time and we have to get back to that kind of a mindset. If we really want to engage with the spirits and be open to them, at the same time, I think we do have to have protection from malevolent spirits mm -hmm. that may want to interact with us and may already inhabit our homes if it's not protected. Well said indeed. In fact, my daughter, Evie, she's uh, 11. She shared with me yesterday she had her first out-of-body experience while dreaming. She said she was asleep and she was on the room and she could see herself sleep and she was traveling across the room. And I was like, Cool. Keep at it. Yeah, no problem. It's the natural state of being a human being. If I, yeah. when I said that, if I was young, my mom would have slapped me across the face, like, ah, yeah. you're just, you're just imagining silly things. So, <laughs> big difference. Yeah, and we're cultivating this next generation to be a lot more open to that. I love that, and you're parenting the right way. <laughs> I hope so. I hope yeah. she continues with her astral travels. Uh, mm -hmm. I love in the Egyptian uh, myths. Yeah. Your uh, ka stays, and, your, and then when you sleep, your ba goes out and goes on adventures every night. So mm -hmm. Sounds like, you know, better than sitting around snoring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, what, any, uh, any questions, or what do you think, Vance? Well, um, I have a barking dog back here. I think Stephen King's trying to visit me. funny. <laughs> 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 Well, you know, um, when you were asking if everybody's all mystics, um, I was thinking, um, hang on. Um, I once had a theory that like the, the, uh, 
people in the world, there's really 90% filler. Like 10% of the people were real people. And the other ones were just kind of NPCs, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, how, how can we really know that? You know, we don't really know if, it, you know, just they're, they're just asleep or they're going to. Well, what do you, can you say about a person who's asleep all their lives and doesn't ever, you know, fulfill yeah. their whole potential? I know Are all they, about that. Yeah. yeah. That's been my biggest fear is that I would be a sleepwalker person who didn't know who they were and didn't know what they liked and didn't know if they could do anything and was afraid to do anything with their lives. And I think that, um, you know, your percentages, I don't know how accurate that is. I had never thought about that, but I think there's a big amount of people who haven't been awakened to their potential yet. And I think that's really astute of what you say, because, um, you know, there are people who come to us and our kind of people, you know, our, our messages are ringing true with them. They're falling out of the conventional traditional religions and they're, they're questioning things like that. And they're coming to us and they're like, what, what's going on here? What is the world? What's happening? Sorry. It's uh -huh. And everything. But I think that, um, you know, those NPCs are becoming, you know, their own main characters and that's magical and we at time at times had that maybe at younger ages or whatever but um you know i respect their journey and i welcome them to our groups and i want them to awaken and get the resources that they need does that answer the question oh yeah it's like the it brings us right back to the matrix right you know, yeah. the, the matrix, everybody's asleep in the matrix and their little day-to-day -day thing. And, you know, Neo gets awakened and so forth. Uh, the other thing I was always thinking about magic, and uh, tell me, Australia, what you think about this, is that long ago, there were far less, you know, the population was far smaller. Yeah. And so when people would do things, they, they um, magically, let's say, you know, an extraordinary uh, affectation of the world around them, there was less opposition. But now, like when everybody's packed so tight, for everybody that wants to do X, there's somebody trying to do not X. And so it all can't adds up to zero. So if there's too many people trying to do, like look at politics, right? You got mm -hmm. half the people going this way, half the people that way. It's adding up to zero and nothing gets done. Or worse yet, you know, the destruction ensues. So what do, you, what do you think of that idea, a magical overpopulation? Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, when we talk about magic, we could say that, um, you know, we, what we're doing is magical. And uh, we could also hyp hypothesize that, um, you know, people who are more conservative minded and what they're doing with their speaking in tongues and their prayer and their group think and their, uh, you know, correlation of thought and stuff is also magical in their own way, but not necessarily for the benefit of humankind in our opinion, because uh, it seems to be detrimental in a lot of ways. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you know, I, I think that we could equal each other out, but I think that the universe keeps expanding. That's a common law of the universe. So I have to think that mentality will keep expanding as well and not stay conservative, not be like, you know, like they want to revert to the 1950s and stuff. That's, that's not what everybody wants. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to progress, but we're going to drag them kicking and screaming <laughs> along with us, <laughs> whether they like it or not. You know, you will have body autonomy. <laughs> and uh, some of them don't realize that they actually want it. You know, uh, if you've looked at the news recently, it's, it's really ridiculous. I think it's kind of... Um, comical in a way if we don't take it personally if, if and um you know i try not to because yeah, my voice is this big in the whole mess of things <laughs> you know i can only affect this much change and so uh i do what i can but then i also sit back and say wow this is really weird it's a weird time to be alive you know <laughs> but it's not uh, that Every time I think it's original, I have to take a deep breath. Here's a story that I just have to share again. I'm doing this research for my Elvis bio, and I keep running into David mm -hmm. Bowie. I'm convinced David Bowie was just Elvis 2.0, but there are so many parallels between the two, it's not even funny. But I'm doing this research, and I found that in the late 60s, George Harrison and David Bowie got into a huge fight, and wow. they never liked each other. Why? Mm -hmm. Because there's David Bowie with the wigs and the suits and being androgynous and whatever. And uh, George Harris is like, you know, you need to figure out what gender you are. And hmm. David's boy's like, well, I can be what I want and it's fluid in that. And I'm like, oh, so this was happening in 1969. It's never going to stop. It's always been happening. And it kind of gave me a sense of perspective because these two giants of music were, of course, butting heads over mm -hmm. an issue that it's always going to be with us. So nice sense of perspective that we have, there's no, we're not that original in our ideas. It's not the end of the world. It's interesting because I think George Harrison was progressive at one point and then David Bowie became way more progressive, maybe say even right. radical. And but I think sometimes you just, it's almost like the universe decides there has to be, because yeah, George Harrison was one of the most open-minded yeah. mystical, yeah. but it's almost like the universe has to have this duality at all times, mm -hmm. you know? If there's a witch, there's a heret heresy hunter. If there's a Gnostic, there is an orth. You know, it's almost like it's the magic of the world, the polarities. Hmm, that's interesting. I try to transcend the pol polarities, you know, because I think I think it's a trap. It's a trap, you know. <laughs> but I acknowledge that there are two sides to a lot of things, and yeah, it's it's hard to um, get along with that. I, I have my own in Aquarius too. So I, I'm just automatically going to be like, no, no labels. <laughs> labels help me identify with certain things. So I acknowledge that too. You know, one of the big things uh, uh, with this whole scenario is change. Yeah. You know, okay. In the timeless universe of the monad and so forth, there's no change, right? There's no time. There's no change. This the pleroma, whatever. But it's like, pain and change you know i'm in some sort of discomfort or suffering or pain and so i want to change and so everybody's changing so i think a lot of the things that we see nowadays i mean it's not the uh the the whole goal of a magician mm -hmm. is to create change of some sort right the whole you know, yeah. chemical idea. work yeah. yeah um creativity what is that it's bringing something new it's a change you know so that everything's not the same because if everything's the same it's kind of dead right yeah. so it, it's it's the the change and so bowie right he he said well what am i going to do everybody's done all this other stuff i know i'll be weird i'll be kind of androgynous <laughs> and strange and make believe i'm a guy from a desert planet in mars you know referring to the, <laughs> the man who <laughs> <called> earth 
And it was different. You know, it got people's attention because yeah. that's what it's about. People want to. George get- Harrison is like, hey, isn't worshiping Hindu gurus strange enough? <laughs> no, 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 no. He <laughs> made it Even popular. More. George Harrison, what about doing acid? David Boy's like, no, we got to do cocaine. We're going to take yeah. it even further out. Mm-hmm. It's a cycle. Well, yeah. It's the cycles. It just goes in a spiral. It's a yeah. spiral. And change is one of those constants in the universe. I am a scientist. I've studied this stuff. And, um, you know, that I believe that fate is related to um, the energy uh, equations, however you want to see that, whether it's chemical or like spiritual, that yield the least or, you know, that are the most favored. You know, you can say that certain reactions, certain predictions, certain paths are just more, they're easier for us all to take. At the same time, it's so random that we do have this evolution of life and it goes against like just the chaos and the randomness. Mm. And we have our own organizing structure, uh, which really makes me feel like there is some kind of purpose to all of this. And, you know, whether you want to get into theism or not, it's it's really um, beautiful the way that we've co-synthesize all of this with or without spirit or deities or whatnot well said indeed yeah i mean you talk about the ouroboros in your book and that's the great (laughs) symbol of alchemy reincarnation transcendent Mm -hmm. i mean again they were debating this three thousand years ago there was probably you know a david bowie and george harrison in the pyramids arguing about you know do we change? Do we? Which way do we change? Mm-hmm. No, too much change. Uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. To make uh, matters complicated, even more complicated, even if you're not a theist, uh, mm-hmm. you bring a very important idea that Vance and I agree in your book, and you tie it into artistry, and that's the idea of the egregore. Can you mm-hmm. tell the audience oh, about yeah. the egregore in art? Yeah. So um, I uh, really experimented a lot with the egregore to write this book. It's I define the egregore, a lot of people define it as the energy of something. It is the spirits of something, the intelligence of something. Um, you know, when I do fire dance performances, I'm like, okay, I'm going to channel the spirit of joy or peace or fun or whatever. And I just channel that energy or that intelligence or that in spirit, that spirit. And that comes through me in my art. And it's just like, this is what lo- it looks like, you know, whereas sometimes I've done uh, performances where they've been more somber and, you know, this is, you know, the, there's a, an energy of like, um, like compassion and peace and like, you know, understanding that this is the energy that comes forth, you know? So really getting in touch with the egregore of your arts, uh, both when you're creating it and when you're expressing it or sharing it with other people, uh, you, you can really ha- develop this like romance with your art and like how your art presents itself. It can start to tell you like when the, the writers are talking about how um, the characters leapt off the page, they wanted to do this and that. I shared some of that too. It, it happened for me. That's the egregore of the art telling you, this is how I am. This is what I want to be. This is who I am. Uh, I want you to hear me and write this down because I'm going to give it to you right now. And it's in concert with your creative spirit. They're facilitating that communication. Usually the creative spirit comes first, the egregore comes second. Uh, you know, and they can 
when the egregore comes, they can kind of communicate to you at the same time. And I just really love working with the egregore of my art because it does inform me. It And I, I can tell like, I'm like, where does it need to be fleshed out? Where are you lacking? Oh, you don't have any feet to walk upon, metaphorically speaking, you know? Um, okay, we're going to kind of like work on how we can like kind of get this out into the world or like work on this other part, how uh, the pacing is in my writing, um, you know, when it comes to the egregore of performing, like where is that lacking? So just having this meditation with the egregore can tell you a lot about where your art is, like the stage it's at. Uh, how it feels about itself, how how you feel about it, how you feel it feels about you. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful interaction, and I really encourage every artist to engage with that. Very interesting. But how would you say? How do they do it? Because again, in occult circles, people assume a, a, an egregore is like a public tulpa, this energy that the crowd creates, and you yeah. you bring up uh, Starbucks or you know yeah. your favorite brand, obviously National Socialism created a very powerful <laughs> and destructive yeah. egregore. Uh, we see it with crowds when the crowds their energy focus on something. How can mm -hmm. an artist doing? Are you saying when you're doing your fire dance, you can feel that? energy mm -hmm. enveloping the crowd and that teaches you something or yeah well i feel like first it's a private personal experience um especially if it's not a larger egregore if it's the egregore of your art you can have this like kind of like quiet communion where you really get to the energy of that uh egregore and develop it and it develops itself as well uh but if you're working with a larger egregore, like the energy of love, unconditional love, you know, you tap into it, that egregore, and um, it will kind of like guide you. Mm. It will tell you like, this is the kind of like gesture I want you to do or something like that. It'll move through you. So, um, you know, there are egregores of all kinds of levels, everywhere from personal to community to like national or statewide to universal and understanding what level your egregore is on, I think is an important aspect of interacting with it and how you're going to be perceived too. It'll help you in really showing that energy off because I've seen people who just operate like on a level of, they're not giving anything but ego. And <laughs> it's really kind of silly. Like I can't watch it. I like when someone's like, just like, it's all about me. Watch me. You know, I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Whereas if it's the egregore of like inspiration or empowerment, I want to stay and hear that message. I want, I'm engaged. It's a, it's also a little bit about me. So not just about that one guy, you know, but, or person, uh, I was thinking of a specific person when I said that, but, um, yeah. So that's long story short, like be aware of your egregore and, uh, how you engage with it and what you want to actually give your audience. Exactly. There's one part of your book, I think, which is, which is very important. And you talk about when you're creating art, you are creating on two levels. There's part of you that's doing the stuff, but there's also part of you that's existing in the spiritual world. So keeping that in mind tells you that it's, again, it's not ego. It's just not just material. It's not just rewards. There's there's again a dual thing that's happening right mm -hmm. i think for 
uh, artists, ideally, yes, they are uh, participating on a, a higher level. But, you know, there are those who, who don't. And, um, you know, I think that, I mean, we... I'm not one to judge what's art and what's not art. At one time, someone told me that my stuff that I did wasn't art. And I I never talked to that person again. <laughs> <laughs> I told him off. And uh, because I don't think that anyone can really say that. I think that I was a beginner artist, you know, and um, I, my feelings were really hurt by that. And I think that if we say something like that, if we could, um, you know, alienate people whom we want to hear from, years from now when they're not quite a beginner or when they've developed a little bit and they've maybe talked to their egregore of their art. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the difference between it's not art and it's crappy art, right? I, I could draw <laughs> like a stick. I don't know look, which one I, I, I made art, but well, no, that's not art. Well, no, it's crappy art. What's yeah. Would you tell a kid that though? Like you wouldn't probably do that, right? Like, no, no, I'm not yeah. a cruel person, but some people are. Some yeah. people like some, some people, people like to feel themselves better by putting other people down, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so, I don't know what the line is. Sorry, like I don't know what the line is. Like I, I'm not one to judge. Um, I think that any creation is good as long, you know, as long as it's not from like a, you know, if you're not trying to trick somebody into saying that it's art. When I don't know, uh, what am I trying to say? I think that um, we need to support beginner artists. We need to support people at their different stages of art. Um, we may not like it as much as their later stages, but um, there our support and our tolerance of it and lack of judgment or condemnation is going to help them develop. And I think they will probably develop into something, you know, whether they have our judgment or our opinions or not. I think that, you know, judgment can hurt so much so many times and um you know i don't one thing i say is like you know you really can't pay attention to those people who are saying that stuff to you because they're not the ones who matter you're the one who matters you're the one who has a heart in this you know i think it also helps to uh, have a little gnosis about the art scene because there's only so many museums and so many walls and so many paintings or uh, so many venues that an art you know, a piece can be yeah. in. And so everybody's competing for it. Yep. And as soon as you get that competition, now that's crappy. That's not art. Blah, blah, blah. You know, they're really, it's a competition. If you dig out, you know, all the dirt from over it, it's really people trying to get their stuff or the stuff oh, they yeah. like over somebody else's. Yeah. And they have those networks too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The art, ne art egregore networks, right? <laughs> You know, and I feel like um, a lot of times artists aren't celebrated until after they're dead, too. So that's like not really affirming for the living. Um, yeah. You know, like Frida Kahlo only had three art showings in her life. And uh, what about Van Gogh? I think. Willie, yeah, William right? Blake died yeah. almost unknown. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's like good for us to think about that as a goal. But, you know, so <laughs> I really want us to focus. I want all of those artists out there to focus on their joy and like, would this bring me joy? Will this help me express myself or my emotions or my spirituality? Uh, so that's, that's what I think it's all about. And if anyone says anything, you know, you can take it or leave it. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And just tell a story. You can tell a story with sculpture, yeah. fiction, whatever the universe is made yeah. out of stories. We got to make better stories and, 
and, and your ancestors will be very happy to hear your stories and you might ignite somebody else's inner story. So don't yeah. be shy. Yeah. That's what we're there's here one, for. There's one exception. Hello, uh -huh. Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> My other daughter's about to kill. Yeah, she's going to run into the room. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I think there oh, are a lot God. of artists who are popular when they're alive still. So, yes, that's it, it, true. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the greats that we think of, like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to uh, think about like the whole uh, judgment aspect of like the dead artists and then their their value goes up. It's it's kind of like I want to value artists while they're alive here with us right now. Yeah, well, in music, <laughs> that's true, right? We have a lot of artists. In fact, well, all these artists that well, I knew when I was a kid and, uh, you know, they're still playing out there, right? The tubes are out there and the yeah. blondies out there. And so yeah. The tubes. That's great. Yeah, the tubes. You know? <laughs> I remember, yeah. yeah. I'll talk to you <laughs> later. And I'll, yeah, I remember I've those. seen them live, actually, oh. in San Francisco. I, I saw them. Right tube. on. And you guys were in a sink. It's very interesting. You were talking about sleepwalking and Stephen King. For some strange reason, a couple of nights ago, I had this urge to watch this really bad 90s sci-fi movie called Sleepwalkers. Uh, Stephen King wrote it directly for the movies. Uh, and it's really bad, but I just had to watch it. Uh, the, the, the screen queen is actually the actress from, uh, from Twin Peaks, and you were talking mm -hmm. about Twin Peaks in the chat. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. And it's a terrible, movie, but it, it, the ending is really awesome because you have these demon dogs that drain human beings. And, they, of course, they come from ancient Egypt. And for some reason, cats, again, ancient Egypt, hate these demons and are the only ones who can kill them. And the movie ends with this this herd of cats to this Enya song. I don't know. <laughs> it's a horrible movie. It's a really bad sci-fi movie, but it just stuck in my head. It's one of those. <laughs> I wish Stephen King had done that. And the then horror. there's a dog behind you. <laughs> oh, there was gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah one of those dog demons from ancient <laughs> Egypt. Yeah. Anubis. Well, if anybody has a chance and you really want to suffer bad art, watch uh, Sleepwalkers by Stephen King. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, as, as we get a little bit towards the end of this uh, fun and engaging interview, uh, I guess the, might say, elephant in the room, the Ganesha in the room would be Estrella. Ah, what are your views on AI and transhumanism interacting with the human artist? I mean, again, Rhyme is her artist trying to deal with it in her own way. She's not coming out and saying it. She's just like, I'm letting AI take me here. I'm giving these <laughs> expressions and make up your mind. What do you think of AI? So I have a mixed opinion on it. Um, and, and maybe this is just me right now and this could change, but I will say that um, there are AI books, books written by AI out there on mm. magical stuff, witchcraft stuff. And I'm kind of afraid of the information that they're sharing as if it is uh, a real or a human experience necessarily. Um, some of it's apocalyptic, some of it's uh, opinionated. Uh, so I don't recommend AI books. I also really don't recommend AI uh, narration of books. I believe I've heard one before <laughs> and I did not enjoy it. It sounded like a robot. The <laughs> emphasis was not really on the right words. It didn't seem very human. It didn't seem very like 
There was a soul presence. I'm, you know, again, this is maybe my psychic stuff picking up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't recommend those two. However, I really like some of the AI art that's coming out there. And I do want to respect the artists who have put stuff out there. It's really beautiful that AI is copying, clearly copying. Um, and I think that um, the AI owes a debt to those other artists. And it's hard to say how that would actually be translated um, because it's beautiful arts and it's weird and it's surreal and transcendent and beautiful. But at the same time, um, it was made in, I don't know, one second as opposed, or maybe like 10 minutes as opposed to an actual artist creating something in like 10 hours or whatnot. Uh, And I want to acknowledge, I want people to acknowledge when it is AI assisted and not AI assisted. So we just know, uh, you know, I just, I I don't want to judge it, but I just, I want to know if, if, if it was completely from them or not just just for you know credit's sake you know so we can say wow you did that all by yourself that's amazing or not and uh i also find the same thing with music um i think that the influence is great i don't think that ai can really ever give us a human experience i don't know if it will ever actually have a soul i think it will be entertaining but i just don't think it's quite there i think you know we have that threshold where it's like a 99% and you're like that 1% and you're like it's not quite there or or what um what not uh but i i think that it's valuable and it's a uh, a way for us to make the art uh, less expensive less cumbersome for some of us uh but we do have to watch what messages are actually out there that they're spreading cuz it could be harmful well said. What do you think, Vance? You've had uh, AI write you poetry and stuff. Oh yeah, story? yeah. I, I use it all the time. Actually, there's one that I use called Pi that I like. It's kind of friendly and and mm-hmm. it's it's pretty good. It doesn't hallucinate as much, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, they do. They I don't know. It's got like AI LSD or something. Yeah. That <laughs> some of them do have that. But they make up things. And that's one of the things you're saying, yeah. Stray, is that they, they tend to make up things. If they don't know, they just assemble things from all the, the language model and so forth. Um, but the um, what I was going to say is it, there may be coming forth uh, thinking of AI as like the paintbrush. In other words, a person could use AI as the tool for a new form of art rather than AI just spewing out. I mean, you could use a machine and paint brushes and so forth. I don't know why I'm thinking of visual arts. And actually, switching over to the musical arts, for a very long time, the stuff that we hear, especially, you know, trance pop and rap and so forth, uh, all the, excluding the the vocals, is not human. Hmm. It is If you've ever seen the process or have participated in the process of creating music, in the studio, um, mm-hmm. the people that come in the studio oftentimes have very little talent, and the engineer puts it together, <laughs> hooks it up, does the you know uh, does the magical functions over it. So it's really not fully human. So I think AI has the potential of being used as a tool. It's just why in the, in the studio, a lot of times people go and they have natural musical talent. The engineer doesn't do that much, and the soul or whatever can come through. And the other thing that I want to say about AI is that I have a theory that, you know, you know how I was saying that we're kind of all transceivers and so forth. 
Mm-hmm. AI doesn't have a receiver to the universe. It is not in communication with the universe except through whoever is interacting with it and possibly yeah. a little bit who trained it originally. Good and point. so it, it doesn't have that same kind of creative ability. It recombines things very fast. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it. It certainly improves it. Um, oh, God, I don't want to. Uh, if I say something about Taylor Swift, Australia, will you get mad at me? Not at all. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I, I have a friend girl, and I said something critical about Taylor Swift. She hasn't spoken to me in two months. So Uh-oh. I'm worried. But, uh, yeah, that's somebody. Blasphemy. Who, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's somebody who, was, who, yeah, technology and all that has improved her voice. When you hear her live, mm-hmm. they take away the music, and it's just she's she has absolutely no talent. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, Taylor Swift is an incredible storyteller and really mm-hmm. understands the trauma of, you know, the the anima. So I'll, I give her that. She's a great, she's an amazing story, whoever writes her music, and she understands traumatic experience, the ebbs and flows. But as far mm-hmm. as talent, all studio, all AI, right, Vance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there Thank you, you go. Yeah, I don't know that much about her, but uh, yeah, it's she. She writes a lot about like relationships, and I think that I, I knew somebody who wrote songs, country songs, and they all wanted her to write about relationships, specifically about cheating. <laughs> That's what Nashville wanted back in the early really? aughts. Yeah, and um, I was like, why do they want that? I think they want people to feel a certain way, to feel kind of oppressed by their love relationship or whatever. Sells drinks. Possibility of that. <laughs> and I mean, like that's kind of like an artificial intelligence in, of, in and of itself. The egregore of like, you have a Bingo. cheating spouse, you know, like you're, we're just going to put that energy out in the world. <laughs> like, so it proliferates. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really get that uh, a lot, you know, like I, it's, it's kind of a, a vibe that some people are on, but um, yeah, it's, so that's something else we could even think about <laughs> the whole what happens with that kind of energy or that kind of programming. Yeah. I have a theory that music has every kind of music has a drug in back of it, right? Yeah. Like country western is like whiskey. Right? Yeah. Jack Daniels. <laughs> Lana Del Rey is heroin. <laughs> there you go. Grateful Dead is LSD or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Hot, hot mostly, I guess. Yeah. So that probably tells you a lot. And that's, you know, the egregore of that drug could be speaking through them too, you know? Yes. I was just thinking that, right? Yeah. The spirit of the the drug. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Complicated. Yeah. It just gets more and more complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the technological side and then there's a the spiritual side and then there's the worldly uh, egoic side. So, and everybody's got an agenda, it seems. So. Stuck in the middle with you, as the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, certainly highly recommend her book. Uh, she, Estrella, uh, has plenty of uh, exercises, rituals on how to cleanse your room, advice on how to get a workspace, uh, stories, again, of, a, of other artists who were able to find their muse in their center. She brings a lot of her life stories to say, this is what I overcame. So there's so much more. And definitely check out her website, estreataylor.com. Man, you got that name right off the bat. Good for you. And uh, anything else you want to share about your book? 
the only other thing is that um you know when you work with uh magical correspondences that can help you create that can really help you dial in your focus so i'm someone who has adhd and this book is basically like how to hyper focus <laughs> mm. you know, if you use the elements uh you know you can like use the audio and you can use like an aroma therapy to kind of dial in yourself for the element of air, uh, the element of water, use something that doesn't distract you, a vessel, and then something that helps you create some kind of uh, liquid in there, keeps you hydrated. Uh, I like to use a candle to mirror my own uh, creative energy and I blow it out when I'm done creating. It kind of just like reminds me like this is our purpose, this is our intention right now. You also have to set an intention for that and set some goals. And then the element of earth is there if you want to bring in crystals or herbs, but really it's about being in your creative space, sitting down in the writing community. We have this concept called ass in chair. I <laughs> see <laughs> get in the chair, put your fingers on the keyboards, get to work. Mm. You know, uh, that really helps you. Those are your creative correspondences. Uh, and also, you know, like you talked about cleansing your workspace, cleansing your mind of all that stuff. Uh, of any distractions too. So it really helps you just focus into your art, what you love about it and what you want to share with the world. So I'd recommend, you know, if you're interested in any of that, read the book. And I think it's wonderful, you know, ritualizing your creativity really helped me write my first two uh, fiction novels and these four books with Llewellyn as well. And uh, being a fire dancer, my other kinds of art too. So uh, you can find me on Instagram at Estrella Taylor and threads and Facebook and stuff. And I don't do Twitter anymore because that's weird now. <laughs> I'm out there and I love to chat about creativity and intuition and stuff. So find me and uh, I'll find you back. Cool. Check it out. Yeah. A lot of good gnosis in her book and in her website. So I would check it out and I will have uh, in the show notes right after this show and in the audio version links to her work. And uh, yeah, but we at the end, uh, people in the Chitico, uh, interesting questions, great conversations, good <laughs> insights. Uh, I hope, uh, yeah, you guys definitely enjoyed it. Vance, thanks for uh, keeping everybody under the, your uh, painting brush. <laughs> I, I let him go tonight. Uh, very interesting conversations, everybody. Uh, hello, everybody out there. Yeah, made me laugh great. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Chester, for your support. Uh, hey, yeah. Christina, good to see you here. Yeah, and uh, Estrella, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it, and we look forward to your uh, future creations. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much, everybody. And uh, I just want to thank you all just for having me on here. I loved it. Loved pleasure. Yeah, Our pleasure was all ours. It was a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Well, enjoy your Freya day tomorrow and your Saturn day and your weekend and stay cool. And as I always say, yeah, uh, write your own gospel, live your own myth, and we will be talking sooner rather than later. Yeah, Ronnie Pontiac and Tamara Lucid will be our guests next week as we discuss the cult of Orpheus and all the magical hymns. So get ready for more mind expansion and mysticism next week. So take care, everybody, and good night. Mm -hmm.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.